0: just kidding, you can keep standing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, we switched up the order today. Um, <laughs> if you are able to. <laughs> Continue our way through the book of 2 Kings as we come to chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 18. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 18, and we will read on down through the end of the chapter there in 2 Kings chapter 4. Verse 18, God's word says when the child, oh, sorry, just kidding. Verse 8, throwing everybody off today. 2 Kings, let's start all over, forget all of that. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. One day, Elisha went on to shoot him where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed away, he turned in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put, and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite. When he called her, she stood before him, and he, sa- and he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and she said at this and he said at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Verse 18, when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on, do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her, and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain, and when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child. The flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked back once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Verse thirty eight. And Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered from it from it his lap full of wild gourds, and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some of them poured out for the men some to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. He said, Then bring flour. And he threw it in the pot and said, Pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a 100 men? So he replied, Give to them, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he said it before them, and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come to your word this morning, and we thank you for the fact that you bring life that Your Word comes true, and that Your Son, Jesus, has the power over sin and death. Lord God, I ask now that You be glorified through the preaching of Your Word, so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever received a gift that you didn't think you needed, and now you don't think you can live without? Uh, for my birthday, about a month ago, Megan bought me an espresso machine. That did we need it? No. Do we think we can live without it now? Well, I don't know. Before you accuse me of idolatry, I'm not sure if we can live without our espresso machine anymore. As uh, as we come to Second Kings chapter four, we meet this wealthy woman, the Shunammite woman, who has all she thinks she needs. And then God blesses her with a child, only for her to lose this child when the child child dies. But friends, what does she do when she loses the child here? Does she turn from God in anger? No, she turns to Him in faith, just like the woman that we saw last week at the beginning of chapter 4, who lost her husband and was about to lose her children to, to debt and to slavery, and turned to the Lord in desperate faith. Here we meet the Shunammite woman, and we're going to see her strength and her dignity in going to Elisha, the the man of God. This act of her going to Elisha was an act of faith. It was an act of her trusting in the Lord. But she's not the only one who's going to have to turn to the Lord in this time of crisis and desperate prayer. Elisha will have to as well. Friends, where do you turn in times of hardship and turmoil? Do you turn to the Lord, or do you turn away from Him? Do you cling to Christ, or do you turn from Him? That's the question that we have before us as we look at this text this morning. Remember, we've seen the national idolatry that's taking place in the life uh, of Israel, in the the kings and, and queens of Israel and Judah. We see the nation spiraling further and further away from Yahweh, and further and further into sin. And now we're given a glimpse in chapter 4 of what's taking place at the local level. We, we're given a number of miracles in chapter 4. And remember, these miracles are confirming that Elisha is a successor, the prophetic successor to Elijah. So we saw the miracle last week of the multiplication of oil. And we saw those life-giving words that Elisha gave to that widow there at the end of verse 7 where he says, Go, sell, pay, and live. But now we're introduced to another woman in verse 8, a woman who lives in Shunem, and she's almost at the opposite, complete opposite end of society when it comes to the woman we saw last week. Last week we saw a woman who was a widow. She was indebted. She was about to lose everything and live a life of poverty, almost the lowest of the low. But here we meet this wealthy woman. She lives in Shunem, which is about fifteen to twenty miles east of Mount Carmel. Now keep that in mind, because remember she's going to go there. We see that Elisha passes through, and this family graciously hosts him whenever he goes through. They stop; he stops in, and they invite him in for a meal. It actually happens so much that they end up just building him a room on their roof. Now the roof itself was an important place in their day. It it was sort of like uh, the center of the family. It was sort of like a deck or a patio. And so what they do is they decide, well, let's build a permanent place for him. In her doing this, and her family doing this, we see a sort of hospitality ministry taking place here. All throughout Scripture, there are examples of, uh, the examples of hospitality are characteristic of the righteous. You have in Genesis chapter 18, you have Abraham hosting the men of God. You have in the, in the book of Ruth, you have Boaz caring for Ruth. In First Samuel 25, you have Abigail hospitable to David and his men as they are roaming around the country. The New Testament writers and Jesus often speak of hospitality, welcoming in those into our homes as something that's characteristic of the righteous. Jesus himself in Luke 14 says that we should be hospitable to those who are poor, those who are maim, those, those who are lame, those who are blind although they might not be able to repay you for your hospitality. You know what Jesus says when we are hospitable to those who are unable to repay us? He says that you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's an incredible statement, isn't it? For being welcoming to those who um, are, are in the midst of hardship, for inviting people into our lives, into our homes, and sharing with them the blessings that God has given to us. Jesus says, if they can't repay you now, you will be repaid at the resurrection. Well, friends, what is your repayment going to look like? Will there be a repayment? Biblical hospitality, brothers and sisters, is much more than bringing a casserole to a potluck. And don't get me wrong, that's no dig at potlucks and no dig at casseroles, because I love them both. And Lord willing, we'll be able to have some of both more together soon. But as Christians, one of the ways in which our love for God can overflow is in our love for each other. When we welcome others into our lives, into our homes, and seek to bless those that God has placed in our lives, that's honoring to the Lord. That's something that we're called to do as believers. Our our love for God is meant to overflow for our love for our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and our communities. So let's seek to be a people who practice hospitality in our individual families as a church family. Friends, why is it that we often fail to practice this incredibly important ministry? I know all of us have a pretty good excuse for the last year, right? Uh, It's been all difficult, if not almost impossible, to do that. But as we begin to feel more comfortable gathering, think of some ways of how you can do this. Have you thought about how, uh, how you can use your house or your resources that God has given you to bless others? Maybe through adoption or foster care or hosting missionaries or caring for the elderly or those in need. Think this week of how you can use your resources to be hospitable and love those that God has placed in your life. Those who are in great need. And that's what we see this widow, I mean, mean this wealthy woman doing here. She is greatly blessed, but she doesn't hoard those resources to herself. What is she doing? She's seeking to serve, right? To serve the ministry of Elisha. And, And notice how Elisha responds to her kindness in verse 13. He says, See now, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? So he asks, What can be done for you? He has received her, her kind hospitality and he wants to return that favor. Notice what Elisha doesn't say. He doesn't say, Well, I deserve this kindness. I'm a man of God, I'm a prophet. Therefore, you must or you should do this for me. And, and really, the way Elisha responds here as well serves as an example for us of how we can respond to kindness and hospitality that others extend to us. He wants to do something for her. and She says, well, I dwell among my own people. It's kind of an interesting statement. Likely what she means there is that I have all I need. She has all she needs. She's not like the woman that we saw last week who was indebted in a desperate situation. She had all, or so she thought she had all that she needed. Verse 14, Gehazi, Elisha's servant, says, well, she has no son. A number of times in the Old Testament, women who are barren, you see this pattern of women who are barren being given a child. And often, that child becomes someone of great importance. Think of Isaac, or or Joseph, or or Samuel, or or Samson. But we don't even know the name of this mother or this son here. It it just shows us God's kindness to His people here. There's no special deliverer that's raised up from this son, uh, or from this line of this woman. No, it's just God's gracious kindness in the life of this woman, who used her resources to bless others. And so in verse 16, Elisha says, well, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. The response to her kindness and her hospitality is that God is going to bless her, bless her with a son. God promised, and she was blessed, and we see that God's word comes true. Now, friends, I don't want us to think here do not think that simply if you just invite someone over to your house and share a meal with them, that automatically you're going to be blessed with a, with a son. That's not the pattern, right? For many, that's literally impossible. But I guess with God, all things are possible. But there is this pattern that we see, right? When we extend generosity to others, when we, when we, when we extend hospitality to somebody else, welcome them into our lives, share with us the blessings that God has given to us, we are often rewarded for that hospitality. At the very least, we know that we'll be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteous, as Jesus said. But think of it, how often we're immediately blessed when we serve someone. How often we're blessed and we're encouraged in that service, right? When we serve others or we're hospitable hospitable to others, how often we are blessed and encouraged ourselves that's what's happening here with this woman. She is now blessed by God. She receives a son. Then we come to this next account in this story. The Lord has given her a son, but now we're going to see this great tragedy that comes upon her family. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Last week we saw that the creditor had come to take away the sons of that poor widow. But now this week, death has come to take the son of this rich woman. Friends, what we see here is that one's social standing cannot keep one from the curse of sin. So the child, he is growing. He goes out into the field to work. He, expl- he complains of a headache in verse 19. He goes home to his mother, verse 20. He sits on his mother's lap for a while, and then you read the end of verse 20, those awful and horrific words. And then he died. This miracle child is dead. What does she do? She acts. This woman of faith acts. She lays his body on Elisha's bed and she makes that journey To Mount Carmel, which, remember, is about 15 to 20 miles. I don't know about you, but riding 15 to 20 miles on the back of a donkey is not very pleasant. Um, We don't ride trails as much, but when you ride just a couple miles, you feel it the next day. And so here she goes. She makes this journey, which is long and going to be tedious and likely at the same time also dangerous for her to travel. She leaves. Her husband doesn't even really seem to know what's going on here. Maybe he's even skeptical by what he says. But do you see what she says when he asks her, you know, why are you going to him? She says at the end of verse 23, all is well. It's an odd statement, isn't it? What does she mean by this? Obviously she knows that all is not well. Her son is dead. And then she, she even goes on and, and says it again once she arrives at Mount Carmel with, and, and Gehazi goes out to meet her and he says, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? And she answers, All is well. What does she mean here? One of my favorite hymns, which we're going to sing at the very end, is It Is Well, written by Horatio Spafford. And many of you know the, situations in which she, the situation in which he wrote it. He had lost all of his children. They, they, a ship had sunk, uh, and his children died at sea. And so he writes that, that wonderful hymn, It is well with my soul. And, and I wonder, and it's likely the case, that he got that hymn, the idea from that hymn, from what this woman says here. Here, this woman is asked, "Is all well with your child. No, it's not well. He's, he's dead. But at the same time, she can say, all is well. Everything will be well because she trusts in God who gave her that child. And she has that rock-solid foundation that whatever God allows to happen will be for her good. God is good, and there, there is hope. That's why she can say, all is well. Friends, do you understand that through faith in Christ who defeated sin and death, we can look at disease, we can look at sickness, we can look at death, and we can say like this woman here, all is well. Friends, are you able to say all is well despite whatever hardship you might be going through today? Because Jesus rose from the grave. We are able to save that, Even though all is not well, she trusts that all will be well. And so she approaches Elisha, Gehazi, interesting characters we'll see next week, he'll get his reward. Pushes her away from him, but Elisha says, no, she's in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden what's caused it. And as she goes to him in verse 28, she just asks him two questions. She says, did I, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And Elisha knows. So he sends Gehazi to go and take his staff and possibly try and revive the son, try to bring the boy to life. And the woman says, Look, I'm with you until the end. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right. I'm staying with you. Likely she's not convinced that this tactic that Elisha uses of sending Gehazi off with his staff. So they set off, and then Elisha arrives. The boy still isn't revived from the staff and and, and what Gehazi has done. And so we see that Elisha arrives there in verses 32 and 33. He sees that the child is dead, lying on the bed. And so he went in and shut the door, verse 33, behind the two of them. And what does he do? He sees the boy lying dead. And what does he do? He prays to the Lord. Yes, Elisha goes on and he performs these prophetic actions, but notice what it all starts with. It all starts with prayer. You see, even though Elisha was a great prophet, even though he's a great hero of the faith, he is not God. He was limited in what he could do. And it seems like Elisha recognized he couldn't do this on his own. As if any of the miracles he did were on his own. What does he do? He prays. Elisha recognized that he could not do this on his own. You know, it's interesting. The whole staff situation of sending Gehazi off with the staff. What does he do? Well, he just sent him off. He doesn't pray. But here... He does. You know, friends, how often we're like that, where we think we can handle all of our problems on our own, and we don't approach the Lord in desperate prayer. Friends, if we do that, if we fail to approach the Lord in prayer, then our view of God is too small. Because, friends, without the Lord, we are powerless. Without Him, we can do nothing so Elisha prays and he does these prophetic actions. And then we see in verses 35 through 37 that the child sneezes seven times, which is, again, kind of an interesting uh, account, uh, interesting uh, piece of information. But it's showing us that it must have actually happened. Right. Why else would that be recorded? And so Elisha has a woman come in and he says, pick up your son. And then in verse 37, we see she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. And then it ends. That's the end of this story of the Shunammite woman. We see in her an example of faith, don't we? Of turning to the Lord in the midst of our desperate situations. How easily she could have said, look, I've done all of this for you, Elisha. I even went so far as to take one of the most important parts of our house and give it to you. Give it to your ministry. And this is how I'm repaid? No, no, no. That's not how she responds. She says, all is well. Because she knows that God has a plan in her life. So friends, where do you turn in the time in times of hardship and difficulty? Do you turn to the Lord in faithfulness and prayer? Or is your view of God too small and you think you can handle all of your situations, all of your problems for yourself? She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. You know, there was another woman who lost her son in a village called Nain. That's really close to Shunem, just a couple of miles from there. The, the story this story here, this account here in 2 Kings 4 is similar to what Jesus did in Luke chapter 7. In Luke 7, Jesus had compassion upon a widow where he stopped a funeral procession dead in its tracks. And he said to the young man who was dead as the funeral pier was, was moving along, Jesus goes up to the young man and he says, I say to you, arise. And that dead man got up and was alive. There are no prophetic actions there in Luke 7. Just the word that came from Christ. And those words of life defeated death. You see, this passage here in 2 Kings 4 points us to uh, all of Elisha's miracles. Really point us to the miracle. Uh, the prophet. The Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, one greater than Elisha has come. Jesus' actions there in Luke chapter 7 give us a glimpse of the resurrection power that He has, where one day He would lay down His life for our sins, and one day He would take it up again on the third day and rise from the dead. Friends, this Shunammite woman looked to God, looked to God's representative prophet, Elisha, in the moment of her distress. But we today see more clearly as we look to God in Christ who holds power over sin and death. This passage of of death being defeated points us to the ultimate miracle of Christ defeating death. This chapter then kind of concludes with two other miracle stories. In verses 38 through 41, there's this interesting account of the stew that's either really bad or it's actually deadly. We're not sure. Is it just that this person was a terrible cook and it just needed some flour? I, we don't know. Or was it actually a really uh, poisonous stew? We're not sure. But Elisha uh, throws in flour. It's a visible sign, a prophetic sign, similar to the salt that we saw in chapter 2. It's purified and they're able to eat. And then there's a fourth and final miracle here in chapter 4. And this this miraculous feeding that we see in verses 42 through 44. A man came from Baal, Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Did you see that? Verse 44, according to the word of the Lord. God's word, again, as we see in 2 Kings, has come true again and again. You know, and this is similar to what Jesus does in the Gospels. The feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. The similar way that the servant here doubted the ability uh, for them to provide food for everybody. Andrew, in John chapter 6, doubted the food that the boy had brought was enough. However, what did Jesus do there in John 6? He multiplied the bread and the fish so that they have some left over. Friends, all of these miracles that God is doing here in 2 Kings and and also in John chapter 6 show us how great God is. God's not stymied by our lack or by our inadequacies. You you know, often we think, well, how how can I do this? How can I lead someone to Christ? How can I do this or that? But these things are small for the Lord. Friends, as I mentioned, the end of 2 Kings chapter 4 is remarkably similar to Jesus' ministry of feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6. You can turn there with me. In John chapter 6, Jesus multiplies this bread and this fish so that the people are able to eat. There's this miraculous wilderness feeding there. But Jesus warned the people that after He had fed the 5,000, He said in verses 26 and 27, John six twenty six, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, He's saying, you're not seeking Me because you know what this is pointing you to. You're seeking Me because you know that I can feed your bellies. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. The the miracles that Jesus did should have driven the people to faith in Him. Instead, many followed because they wanted their bellies full. Instead of looking to Christ in faith for their greatest eternal need, the forgiveness of sins, they look to Christ for a temporary fix. Jesus says elsewhere in John 6 verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Going on down to verse 40, he also says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Friends, that's an incredible promise that Jesus is saying there. He's saying, if you look to me in faith, you will have your needs met for all eternity. You will have the greatest need, salvation from sin, met in Him. And he says, I will raise you up on the last day. That's an incredible promise. That's an incredible gift. Jesus says that he will raise you up on the last day if you look to him in faith. But friends, are you going to hear his warning there? Are you laboring for the food that perishes or for the food that endures to eternal life? which only Jesus can give. Here is warning here. All around us, there are people who are lost and laboring for that which perishes. But Jesus says, those who look to me, I will give eternal life, and I will raise you up on the last day. Friends, do you not see the power of God on display in 2 Kings 4 and in John chapter 6? Do you not see the supremacy of Yahweh and His power over debt, His power over death, This power over this person being a bad chef, or it actually being a poisonous stew, and the lack of food—it shows us that God is greater, greater than our needs, greater than debt, greater than death, and it points us to the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, friends, are you trusting in Christ today, or will you reject Him? Will you turn from your sins and embrace Christ in faith? Who alone has power to raise you up on the last day? Or will you turn from Him? Friends, one greater than Elisha has come. And His name is Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? Do you love Him? And do you trust in Him? Do you turn to Him in faith-filled prayer so that no matter whatever situation you are in that you are able to say all is Father, we thank You that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have hope in this life. A hope that goes beyond the grave, a hope that goes beyond death. Lord, I pray that if there are any here today, that You would open their eyes to see their need for Your Son, Jesus Christ. To see the fact that they are not perfect. To see that that they are a sinner in desperate need of eternal life that's found in your Son, Jesus Christ, alone. Lord, for those who are here today and are currently trusting in you, strengthen their faith, Father. Show them that despite their inadequacies, you are able to work through us to declare the good news that Jesus Christ is the bread of life.